we've basically sort of swung the pendulum so far away from, you know, what people might say is toxic masculinity, you know, which obviously is a problem and a bad thing and something that uh, we did need to sort of move away from, you know, to expel it from what we consider a man. But what we haven't done is we haven't defined, well, what is a real man? Hi, everyone. This is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. Hey, Todd Brogdon, thank you so much for joining me here on Bear Crawl. Happy to be here, Mr. Purdy. (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, so Todd, real quick, tell the audience of one (laughs) at this point, (laughs) who are you? What do you do? Man, name's Todd Brogdon. Ross and I go back to college. We're old college buddies. Originally from a small town in East Arkansas, grew up on a farm, wanted desperately to get out of Arkansas and never return. So I went to Baylor and met a young lady there who I did not deserve to go out with and definitely not marry. (laughs) Can I get a name in? Can I get a name in? But everybody knows that. (laughs) I'm the epitome of out kicking your coverage, but her name is Jessica. (laughs) She's from Little Rock and we've spent most of our adult life back in Arkansas with a couple forays into Tennessee and a couple years overseas. But it's been our home. We've got two kids. Both of my kids are actually at Baylor now. I have a senior daughter and a freshman, newly minted freshman. And for work, I manage a family office here in town, manage the financial and operational assets of the family. It's about nine months now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for that. And a lot of history. It is crazy that your kids are in college, which makes me feel really old. And that kind of leads a little bit to the genesis of this podcast is I'm an old new dad really late to this game. And so I was like, how can I leverage this podcast to first interview friends and talk to friends of that have gone way before me to say, man, I'm going to be completely selfish. What did you do? And where did you screw up and share that? So I can make notes of how can I like not screw up in the least possible way. And I feel like <laughs> Meredith and I have baked a little firecracker because he's got a strong little personality. So I totally want to just pick your brain and just what worked, what didn't work and all that kind of good stuff. So thanks for just being willing to share. And my hope and honestly, my prayer too, is that maybe something that you share, Todd, will resonate with somebody out there or somebody can say, man, I exactly know what you're going through. Or maybe for you, some of you like really old new dads, you can listen to and be like, I'm right there with you. But whether you agree with this person or not uh, politically, but Bill Maher, I just saw on YouTube on, I think it was September 9. It was so ironic that he was talking about what's happening to men in our society today. So he's definitely not coming from a spiritual perspective, but he said that basically 40% of men are now going to college. So less than 50% of men are going to college. Like your mass shootings are mostly males that... Young men are not attaching to school. They're not attaching to work. They're not attaching to women. 
you know, that this is becoming the norm and that men are twice or boys are twice as likely to be suspended at school and that mostly lonely and lost men generally, as far as make up the most unstable countries. So not to start off with such a dire percentages. And I think that's the vantage point that I'm coming at is that, and especially I know you've worked with a lot of youth through your local church too. That's the end goal of this conversation is to, what are you seeing as a dad through the eyes of your kids, but also to with the, maybe some of the youth that you're interacting with or some of your friends and their kids. But, but before we do that, generally as young men, we're looking to a role model. We're looking at somebody that we're looking up to. Tell me about maybe your dad and your relationship with him. What was that like? Yeah, my dad, I would say our relationship, if you just wanted to put one word on it, I think it was good. We got along, but like most people have some story and some drama in their life. I had it with my parents divorcing when I was in third grade, which I was young enough at the time, that was a complete shock to me. And interestingly enough, my parents thought it would be wise to give me the choice to choose on who to stay with. My dad, who was going to stay in the town, the only town I had ever known, only place I'd ever known, because he was a farmer. And then my mom was going to move away. And of course, I fear of the unknown in third grade. I wanted to stay with my dad. And then my mom left with my younger brother, which looking back, probably maybe wasn't <laughs> maybe the wisest thing to do. What, on your part or your mom's part? Just a family, breaking up two siblings. Oh, I got you. I you got know. you. So my dad and I actually lived together for some time. My mom remarried and ended up remarrying a good friend of my dad's, actually. Someone I didn't know that. Had, yeah. Someone he had grown up with and uh, definitely a, a good friend, someone he had known most of his life. And so that obviously created quite a bit of drama especially early in my life. And then my dad ended up remarrying about a year, I guess, later. And he married a much younger lady. She was 11 years his junior. So he was, I think, 34. She was 23. So here I am as a fourth grader, fifth grader, somewhere in there. And I have a 23-year-old stepmom, which was weird a little bit just because she was fairly young and Mm -hmm. even younger than that. But through all of that drama, we did not have a bad relationship. I just would say it's fairly passive in the sense that I just grew up longing to leave. Like I felt like I was trapped in this small farm town, middle America, and I didn't really have these grand aspirations to go do any single thing except just get out. I just felt like I was trapped in this world and in this family that had some dysfunction. My long, my younger brother ended up coming back to live with my dad and stepmom and myself when he was, I think, in sixth grade. I was in eighth grade. And those next four years before I went off to college were lots of drama with him. He had a much tougher go of it being torn away. And the focus of our family in some ways became a lot on dealing with him. So I was, if we ever sat down as a family for dinner, the conversation typically revolved around what was he doing wrong or what mistake he had made or Uh, whatever. And so I could fade away. And I was the kid that first child did everything right, followed the rules for the most part, and what right. a troublemaker. So it was easy for me to just fly under uh, the radar a little bit. Fly under the radar, yeah. But as I got into college and dealt with a lot of kind of anger in college and really didn't know where that came from, figured out it was just some just anger of not feeling prepared in a lot of ways. And prepared and for what? What do you mean? Prepared? For life. Oh, I'll, give oh, you, oh. I'll give you an example. I can remember early on a wound I had in 
dealing with my wife, Jessica, when we were dating is we were sitting at dinner and a, an older couple came up and said hi to us or something. I didn't really know that socially it was the right thing to do for me to stand up and shake the gentleman's hand and just a lot of those sort of unwritten social rules that you do, opening the doors for women, all these little subtle things. She would either get frustrated with me because I wasn't doing those or I'd get made fun of because I did something wrong. And there was a lot of sort of anger and resentment that, that built up into me back towards maybe my dad. Oh, wow. And he never taught me those things. The uh-huh. truth is, he wasn't taught those either. Uh-huh. If you go back and look at how we were, how I was raised, he was raised, and my granddad was, it was a completely different culture. So it, so as I matured, I realized, hey, he, he was doing the best he could. It wasn't his fault. There was no blame to put on him necessarily. He wasn't quite guided in those what at the time I called big city <laughs> social deals. That just wasn't his thing. He wasn't a very social guy anyway. Like most farmers, he was a man of few words, worked really hard, kept his head down and loved his family, but loved it through his actions and his work, not so much his words of encouragement. Well, sense. yeah. Obviously, I had the honor of knowing your dad and meeting your dad on several occasions. And to me, he always seemed like a gentle giant, just real. Exactly. Yeah. Just he was tall, just. Yeah. To do it gentle, just a gentle yeah. soul. He was a softy too. I think a lot of the reasons he would sort of fade to the back of conversations or social arrangements or anything was he just, he was a really sensitive soul. And I have a, I think I have a lot of that in me as well. And obviously as he grew older and I was an adult, our, I would say our relationship definitely was positive. We didn't have a ton of really deep conversations necessarily and shied away from showing a lot of emotion towards one another and always felt somewhat awkward even telling him I loved him uh, at times because that's just not something we did. It's not that I didn't feel it. It's just almost, gosh, if you say that, then you open up the floodgates to really show how you feel and real men don't do that. A little bit of that, that but definitely had a great role model in a lot of ways work ethic or work ethic and how to do the right thing when no one's looking and just a lot of nuggets of wisdom along the way and ironically today is the six-year anniversary that he passed away today yeah ironically todd brogdon you're kidding me no. Oh my know, gosh. That's kind of all the cool. things that have happened over the last six years. Gosh, I, so many things I'm missing. I wish he was part of that. Man, that's giving me goosebumps just knowing that today it happened. What a time to honor him. And that's really cool. Thanks for sharing for all that. But how did taking that and how have you overcompensated with your children? I didn't get this like from my dad. Yeah. So I'm going to play it now on my kids. And I, my yeah. dad comes too from the generation of. He grew up in a blue collar little town in Macon, Georgia. He was the first one to go to college. Your granddad worked for the Georgia Power Company. He was blue collar. Dad comes from that generation as well. You work, you show your love by working. Not a lot of touchy feely, even in our family. But how does that impact your kids and in parenting them? Yeah, I think I definitely, especially when the kids were younger, obviously it was more. We're, more engaging with the kids probably than he was. And I think my dad might've been, but we 
got interrupted in life with the divorce and all of that. And that kind of short-circuited maybe a lot of that for us. Yeah. But, but it's interesting. I still find myself doing a lot of the things my dad did because I think it's more personality than anything. I find myself, I'm not overly emotional with them. I'm probably, I'm definitely more reserved than like my wife is with them. I definitely have a healthy engagement yeah. with both my kids. But it's definitely reserved. Example would be some kids have these wounds that my my dad never came to my games. He never saw me play. He was working all the time. My dad wasn't like that. He made it to the games, but he sure wasn't at any practices. You know how some dads are now. Oh, gosh. Hovering over. He made it to the games. He never was the dad who was going to yell at a ref. But I know deep down inside, he might be wanting to yell at the ref, but he never did. You know, and and I kind of have that same disposition. What might appear passive to the normal helicopter parent these days, but definitely probably more engaged than I'm letting on. And I think a lot of that more is personality driven than anything. But mm-hmm. but I don't I don't feel like I don't look back and go, gosh, I've overcompensated in any big way. Cause the things that I felt wounds over, you know, kind of got over when I when I saw my dad for kind of who he was rather than what I wanted him to be, maybe. Don't you think it's kind of true though, as far as like the gift of time? You know, I think, you know, whilst sure. when you go through your middle school years, your world is focused. It's all about you and your world. And are you crushing on her? Does she like me? Um, you can move from the, it goes from parent approval to peer approval. Like your parents, sure. I know the parents love yeah. me, but now where do I fit amongst my peers? And you're so egocentric. And then even like our brain, like we don't really fully develop until we're like 25 you know, your, yes. your executive, you know, functioning kicks in and, you know, I, th- I think I got a great appreciation for my parents. You know, you kind of alluded to yeah. it earlier, but like, you know, getting older to be like, you know what, like they were doing the best they could. My parents yeah. aren't perfect, you know, and they're, yeah. they made mistakes, but they were doing it. So there needs to be some grace. That's right. But at yeah. the time, maybe I was frustrated with them. For example, when we went to our freshman leadership organization weekend in San Antonio and Joel yeah. Pinson pulls out his guitar and starts flinging the guitar around and all the girls are swooning <laughs> over Joel Pinson. Yeah. And I'm in the yeah. back trying to do like arm farts because I'm trying to get like, yeah. I'm trying to crack jokes because they're all like looking at Joel. And I remember yeah. I would talk to mom and dad every Sunday night from Pentland dorm. And I was like, how come y'all didn't make me play an instrument? I am so upset with y'all. <laughs> yeah. You want to make me were, play an instrument. They were awful parents. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Because like, yeah. you didn't tell me the girls would dig yeah. the guitar player. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I played drums, I played guitar, I played sure. piano, I played trumpet, yeah. I played all these instruments, but I never focused. And mom was like, yeah. well, we didn't want to force you to do an instrument. Yep. We didn't want you to just like, I know, but had you dangled the carrot that a girl would dig it, probably <laughs> might have done it. Yeah. You know, so like, th- th- sure. that's not the only reason they're not perfect. But as an example, but I, I think I appreciate my mom and dad now more then of course yeah because you, you see him as human now that we're parents you're like oh exactly. gosh god yeah it's not always <laughs> there is some grace how did they do it man i'm exhausted well that's cool that's cool um and i i get it as far as maybe it's not intentional overcompensating but maybe just yeah your dna yeah. of i am my father's son and but with that so you know i know you said you know your dad's good and i want to yeah. kind of forward think here in a minute but like yeah. is there like a something like your dad said to you or advice that always you could kind of hang your hat on a yeah a little bit or again my dad he wasn't one to instill you know nuggets of wisdom you know these little things he said or anything and i really didn't fully appreciate who he was till he passed away and and mm-hmm. learned a lot about him things he mm-hmm. did that i didn't know about and now look back and go greatest things that i can 
take from my dad was he did a lot of things that were detrimental to him, but were the right thing to do. And he didn't care if anyone, actually, he made a point for no one to even know it. Wow. Um, That's awesome. You know, and that was something that, man, I just was kind of surprised the things I learned about him after he passed away. It's sad that you got to learn that after he yeah, passed. Yeah, exactly. But, so how, yeah. but how cool that is, though, that you were. Yeah, it's just a great thing to kind of carry on or try to, obviously. But, you know, one thing I remember my dad saying, and I think he's, well, I know he's right about it. It's important. And I think he struggled to even know how to communicate that, obviously, you know, with me, but just in general was he always said, because, again, I came from sort of that wounded divorce family background, wanted to get out of the family, go to college, make friends and kind of forget the family, you know, almost put friends above family. And and I did for a period of time and kind of turned my back on where I came from and kind of embarrassed by it and wanted to just kind of move on. And my, I remember my dad, we were actually in a combine. I was riding the combine with him and I don't, I was probably talking about how great you were or something, you know, just my friends or something. And he, I don't know the context, but he said, he said, Todd, you know, your friends will come and go, but in the end, the only thing you have is your family. And it kind of always stuck with me because I remember thinking, oh, dad, you just aren't social enough and you don't have enough friends for that to be right. But the older I get, you know, and, and as you see just in life, maybe, you know, I'm blessed to have great friends, you being one of those of my closest friends, but I've been blessed to have a lot of good friends and lifelong friends. And, you know, we've known each other 30 years mm-hmm. and I hope, you know, we'll stay friends till we're both up in heaven together. But but I, a lot of people don't. And he was right in that you don't want to neglect family because in the end of, at the end of the day, even if you have nothing in common with those that are your blood, sometimes that's all you've got, mm. you know? And that's interesting. Yeah. So that yeah. something always stuck with me and, and it's been true for me in my life with my family members. In your story too, it's not prodigal son in the sense of that you yeah. ran away like spiritually or something, but in a weird way, that story of, like you said, putting friends over, getting away, going to Waco, going to Rwanda, you know, yeah. small town boy goes to Rwanda, but it, it kind of took you back to a little bit of that journey, took you back home a little bit, like the prodigal son, oh, yeah. you know, and just to, to it, really it, appreciate, it took you to get away, maybe to get away yeah. to appreciate mm-hmm. it, maybe. For sure. And, uh, you know, now I definitely am proud of where I grew up and who my family is and yeah. and the legacy that, you know, he, he and his dad and all left. And I love that. You know, so I love that. That's awesome. Okay. So a little bit, you know, forward thinking here, but what it's, you know, yes, you're, you have a freshman in college, you have a, a senior yeah. in college, but what has been your greatest challenge as a dad? I know that's like a huge question, but what do you think your greatest challenge has been as a dad? Uh, I guess first off, I'm, I have to say, and I don't think this has anything to do with me. Definitely has to do more with my wife and Jesus and maybe just sheer genetic luck. But I've been blessed to have two really good kids that have not created a lot of issues in our lives. But I have dear friends that raise their kids just like ours who have had some really challenging times with their kids. Um, and I have some thoughts on why that may be from an environmental standpoint, but my biggest challenge with my kids really, I would say, is just been spending quality time with them because in today's world in particular, it's so easy. Even if you're, hey, we're going to go out to eat as a family, for example, we all are looking at our phones. 
You know, we're all distracted. We're all focused on something else. Mm. And interestingly enough, randomly, I don't know why, but for our family, going out to eat really has been one of the key times where we actually do talk even more so than eating at home, which is somewhat opposite of probably most families. It just kind of how it worked out for us. But um, I would just say probably that the biggest challenge is making sure that the time you spend with them is quality and that you engage with one another and you don't just spend your time just, you know, watching movies together or just going to their athletic events or just, I mean, it's great to be around them and nearby and at a minimum, you know, try to do that, but as much as possible, try to make some quality time. And I, you know, example of me trying to do that was when my daughter was, I think, in summer of seven, after seventh grade, going into eighth grade, something like around in there, sixth grade, going to seventh. Um, I had to take a work trip to New York and London and I had her come along with me. And at that age, I think it was seventh going to eighth grade, the awkward age. I didn't even know what to talk to her about. I really, I mean, <laughs> it just, I, I mean, I really didn't know. And I honestly was not looking forward to the trip. I was like, <laughs> I, I, what are we going to do? You know? Right. And we ended up going to see, two musicals in New York, one in London. And I wasn't obviously jazzed about doing that, but I knew she liked it. Oh, we even went to the ballet. <laughs> oh, she God. loved ballet. So I did all these things that I knew she would like. Right. I, you know, honestly, you know, I would not choose those activities if it was just me. But man, I that is a trip that I cherish in my heart because we have those, just the two of us together. And even just that time it was quality even though i didn't even know what some of these plays were about necessarily or what we were going to talk about it was just the two of us and that i think only that one week trip or whatever it was just sort of helped us and helped her you know have that confidence that her dad cared enough to invite her and and do these things with her at such that poignant age of certainly that early adolescence when you're you know like you say you transition from you know being parent-centric to peer-centric. Wow. That's a cool story. So, and that's interesting too, because it's like, you know, typically you would say that the dinner, you know, yeah. our family dinner was like, mm-hmm. we all sat at the table together. We couldn't leave the yeah. table until everybody was finished. And me, my restless personality, I can't sit still for five minutes and I would be leaning yeah. over on the seats. I'd be <laughs> laying under the table, but I couldn't leave. I was forced yeah. to stay there because that was really yeah. our time to be together, to share, to talk. And so that really was our sacred time. And so even in my family to this day, you know, we sit yeah. together, dinner table and our phones are away. And, but it's interesting that you went out to dinner for that yeah but happen that way but that's interesting though and i appreciate you saying that because i think yes showing up for games and maybe a lot of dads i show up for the games you know i show up for the play that they're in but maybe you're saying you know above and beyond that well let me you touched on something i want to say make an opposite comment on because i think this is kind of interesting and somewhat important is that i've talked to a guy that that i respect a lot talking about this same issue and he said you know sometimes I, i couldn't make it to a game you know, because either I had maybe a, a work commitment that I couldn't get out of or, or maybe a, a, a commitment with church or some other commitment of importance. His thought was, you know, it's good for your kids to know that there are other responsibilities and things you have that are important and, yeah. and life does not revolve around them. I thought, you know, that's an interesting take. And that's kind of how my dad was like he was there for the for the important stuff. You know, I, I, I could tell you a story about the Pinewood Derby and Cub Scouts where I have a wound that he wasn't a part of. But I look back and I kind of learned a lot from it because 
I was the only kid that actually made my car and everybody else's dad made it for him. Uh-huh. And, and although that hurt at the time, I learned a lot from it. So there is something to be said about you want to spend time, you want to spend quality time, you want to do that, but you don't want to do it so much that you're kids just assume that your world revolves around their needs and their wants. Well, that's a good point because they do need that. Hey, I've got obligations. I've made a commitment also to I'm working, I'm providing, you know, so there's some sacrifices, some give and take. So yeah, no, I think that's a great point. But also too, I think that on the flip side of that too, just a little bit of a side note by you bringing that up. I think it's important. So I think sometimes parents, I'm obviously a new parent, but what have you seen with your circle of friends, not to call anybody out, where some families, I feel like they're so kid-centered trick that the marriage for those that are aren't oh, married gosh. are married that yeah. the marriage almost takes a backseat to the kids are the sure. all everything but i'm like honestly in the way too i was raised that mom and dad like their love was for each other first that's right and then it was the kids and yeah. i remember one time if my dad would tell me so many times if you ever go off on mom or if you ever think about you know saying anything to mom you come to me like you know because yeah. he was like that's <laughs> She's mine. She's not yours. She's mine. That's right. You know, and so he was very, but now I like, I totally respect that. So, yes. What do you think like that as far as? Oh, yeah. I mean, you see that all the time these days in particular, the overly involved parents, you know, the helicopter parents. And a lot of time that's actually a function of maybe their marriage isn't functioning great. So, hey, let's put all our efforts, resources, energy into our kids for the 18 years we got them. You know, and then sadly, you see a lot of those couples really struggle with the empty nest because the whole reason they were together was was only for the kids and they kind of neglected one another. So obviously, I think it's paramount that you prioritize your spouse before your kids. I mean, or your kids aren't going to do well. (laughs) Well, they need to see that. They need to see that. Really see a healthy relationship. You know, it just, you can only fake it so much, you know. Well, and I too, you know, I think on top of that too, like it's like you got to see your parents argue a little bit, maybe too, to see like, yeah, yeah it's okay. You, yeah, you, you can't argue, but we're going to come back at the end of the day, That's you right. know, because if your kids don't see that, then you know, if they're dating relationships, oh my gosh, we had an argument, and we're going to that means we're going to break up. And it's like no, but um, you learn you learn how to communicate by seeing watching your parents communicate through difficult circumstances. Yeah, if if you saw it or if you didn't see yeah. it, you know. Yeah. But um yeah. yeah. So so what would you tell your dad now if he was obviously still with us, but now that you're a dad or what would you tell yeah. yourself when Rebecca was first born now? Uh on that one, you know, I would just you know, if I could go back and redo these last she's 22 now. These last 22 years start over with the kids. You know, I I look back and there was a season that I really sort of traded time with them for the pursuit of of a career uh, Uh, and traveled a lot. And, you know, some people have to do that, you know. Right, right. And and, and when I was home, I was home. You know, I, I was able to definitely be present when I was with the kids. But if I have any sort of regret, it's just not, again, spending that quality time with them because I can remember when they were younger, not being fully engaged with them, being present, being there, but not being completely engaged because I was, you know, tired from work or or selfish with my own things I was interested in. And, 
you know, I just would, you know, encourage quality experience, just experiences. I, I would say, you know, like I'd taking my daughter on that trip or doing things. And, you know, that's one thing that I miss with my dad, because my dad, we never really got a lot of those kind of fun experiences together because he worked all the time. I mean, I can remember as a family going on one, what I would call real family vacation while I was a kid and that wasn't real because we went to the Howard Johnson in New Orleans at what, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, wasn't maybe what you would call a real vacation, but you know, I was born in Alaska. My dad was in the army at the time and I always dreamed of Forgot going back to Alaska with my dad. Never got to uh, do it. Yeah. You know, I wanted to go hunting more with my dad, do things that, that we kind of did a little bit. You know, when I was growing up fishing, things that, you know, I remember, I have these great memories of duck hunting with my dad and fishing with my dad. I bet you I didn't do either one of them five times with him, but mm. they're so, such powerful memories for me. Cause I, of course, enjoy both of those things now. It's weird. It's like, gosh, I felt like I did it a thousand times with my dad, but I only did it a handful and I would have loved to have had more quality time with him. So, you know, if he was still here, obviously that's something that I would um, especially now that I'm an empty nester, I would be definitely investing in experiences, you know, with him now that we could share together. And, and piggyback on that, do you, did, were there any traditions that you did with your kids? I mean, I know you're obviously you're, you're such yeah. a, uh, as far as hunting for you and fish, not fishing, yeah. well, to some degree, but more hunting yeah. for you. Yeah. But like, was that your way to connect more with your son or was there anything that you carved? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one one fun thing that it was a family tradition, kind of still is, and it's kind of dorky, but but we've always my kids were they loved you know the Harry Potter books and movies, and I think I watched the watched the first one three times before I had a clue what was going on, and but we kind of have this tradition over Christmas that we like to all get together and watch the Harry Potter movies, and of course they can quote them and and all that and all that you know that's obviously passive engagement, but it, but it is one of these things we just enjoy doing collectively as a family. Obviously yeah, the huh. hunting is, is obviously more geared towards, you know, doing things with, with Ben and, you know, Rebecca and I, like we, we went to those plays together. We've gone to other plays here in Little Rock and we've, we've carved out some things that we've done together as well. You know, we don't have any like, Hey, this is the something we do as a tradition. I, you know, honestly, I hope that, you know, we can, have some of those things. Honestly, a little bit of that's been, uh, you know, I probably regret on my part is I didn't, wasn't more formal in some traditions with my kids, you know, one-on-one necessarily. I may be, you mean, you could probably ask my kids and they'd probably sell me a little stronger than I'm selling myself in that. But I sometimes have regrets that I wasn't more formal with that. Um, Yeah. Well, we could beat ourselves. It's easy to beat ourselves up, right? Yeah. You know, but uh, I hear you. I hear you. With everything we talked about too, but what would you, again, another kind of a general yeah, macro question, 30,000 foot question, but what do you see as one of the biggest challenges facing dads today with everything that you're doing when you're working with youth? I don't know if you still are at your yep. church or at a small group meeting tonight with some boys. There yeah. you go. There you go. So you're living it. You're walking it. Yeah. And with yeah. your own kids and with your friends. Well, you, t- you kind of touched on it earlier when you brought up the whole Bill Mayer, you know, because obviously you and I would probably be on the completely opposite end of the political spectrum of him. But when he's bringing up a problem that we have an issue with manhood, 
heck, we've known that for a long time. <laughs> but when it's gotten so so far that all sides of the political spectrum are recognizing that we've got an issue, then obviously we really do. And in that little piece of, that you sent me, that clip, of course, the guy he interviewed brought up what is the obvious most difficult issue is social media and just the access that kids have to content and to connectivity that, you know, was never even obviously considered when we were growing up. So, you know, I just feel sorry for kids almost today with the environment that they have to grow up in. So can you, can you imagine like growing up in the social no, media with no, all the stupid no, crap no. That, that I did? Like that would, yes. that would get posted I mean, on there? I, exactly. I mean, it would, be, <laughs> it would just be awful. Oh and so, my God. You know. I mean, obviously, I feel what I feel like our culture has done is we've basically sort of swung the pendulum so far away from, you know, what people might say is toxic masculinity, you know, which obviously is a problem and a bad thing and something that uh, we did need to sort of move away from, you know, to expel it from what we consider a man. But what we haven't done is we haven't defined, well, what is a real man, you know? And obviously, you and I would probably base that answer on a, give it a spiritual context, but um, I think even beyond just a spiritual context, being able to articulate what a man should be in, in just our culture is going to be really important for us. And right now, we don't have a clear definition. And so that's why you have so much confusion and passivity and anger and resentment and all these problems. And they all stem from, you know, this absence of identity that you know, there's no men speaking into the lives of all these kids. And if they are speaking into their lives, they don't even know what they're supposed to tell their kids. And and therefore, you're flip-flopping around with whatever is on social media the day, whatever's telling you, whatever's on TikTok. You know, I mean, we were just, I was just dealing with this with, you know, my kids tonight in, in our small group. And it's just a, a very- How do you battle that? How do you have that conversation? I mean, you're a, you know, middle-aged dad. Yeah, born into a 13 year old or a 15 year old or a 17 or whatever that is. And I mean, it's but how do you address that? And how do you like, I mean, you're you're not relatable. You know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, first off, I try to make an effort to not be ignorant. You know, I think a lot of parents, they're they're passive towards technology. I mean, if I've seen anything being maybe the worst problem ever is parents stay ignorant of what's going on. And they have no idea that is what's out there and what's available and what kids have access to. Well, that's just, that's irresponsible, you know, as a parent, in my opinion, you need to, if, if you're not technically capable or competent enough, then you need to find someone that is so you can help protect your kid for themselves, you know, because it's just, there's just too much out there that can be damaging and difficult for kids to process when they are doing things, being exposed to things at early ages. I mean, the older I get, the more I realize, golly, by the time you're in sixth grade, your path is set. <laughs> I mean, it's like with the guy, kids I've worked with, it's not true 100% of the time. But you can see how a kid, how he's been raised, what he's been exposed to. And you can almost go, man, I know what that kid's going to look like when he's 18. I don't know what he's going to look like when he's an adult because there's a lot of you know, different factors that can come into play to change that. But you can pretty much project this is what their, you know, pubescent experience from 12 to 18 is going to look like. I think so much of it is established early on. So that's one thing, you know, I would encourage you is with a, a young son is, man, how you engage with him before he's three is more important than you'll ever believe. Okay. What does that look you know? like? 
when he's that young, it's probably just being there, just yeah. hugging on him, loving him, being present, you know, having a, a an emotional attachment to him, having fun with him. It's not, I don't think you need to put a lot of pressure on yourself that you've got to come up with something uh, important. But I, I think there is an attachment that can be, obviously, we all talk about it with some mom. But I think it's very important for the dad, too. Well, that's good to hear because he's all about mom right now. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm, trying not, yeah. I'm trying not to take it personal. <laughs> no, but uh, but but you don't you don't want to be so passive and go. Okay, it's mom time. I'm gonna, and I know you're not because I know you. But but I think a lot of guys just sort of go, okay, check off, you know, or sort check, check off. Out. He's a, you know, he's a he's with his mom now. I'll catch him later. And sometimes we decide to do that too late. You know. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah. What did the, what did the kids share with you that you deal with? Do they kind of like, uh, do they kind of open up about like this is stressful, or uh, you know, with all the social media crap out uh, yeah. there? Are they they don't are they tired? They don't, are they bombarded? The reality is they don't they don't know any different. You uh. know? And so, that, you know, we had the context of going, well, we remember when we had rotary phones and, you know, voicemail and, you know, all those kind of things. Well, they don't know. Uh, the only life they know is having everything at their fingertips. So they can't look at that and go, man, I, I wish it was like it used to be, <laughs> you know. They don't, have a, they, they don't have a point of reference or a baseline. No point of reference, no context. All they know is what, what they have seen, which is modern day world of social media. And so I, so I think it just, you know, obviously we can look at them from the outside and go, yeah, well, no wonder you're stressed. No wonder you're, you know, can't focus. You know, we, we can see all that. I mean, I just had a kid tonight telling me that, you know, yeah, I got to, I got to transition to watching TV shows, you know, that are 20 minutes long. Cause when I watch too much TikTok, my attention span struggles, you know, I mean, kudos for him for recognizing that, Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, it's pretty sad when you're, you know, you're moving to sitcoms, you know, to help with your attention span. You know, it's just, and that's a kid that's a great kid that's, you know, not got a great family, great dad telling me that. He recognizes that. But but I'm telling you, man, it's a very difficult battle. And one thing that I think we were blessed with our kids just from a timing perspective is when our kids were young, you know, six and three, you know, we moved to another country where things move much slower. And so they had two years of a really different life experience. And that was even before social media and cell phones. But things were still moving a lot faster then than when you and I grew up. Mm. And so, gosh, if you have any ability early on, don't let your child just participate in what the culture is doing around it in regards to, oh, yeah, he needs an iPhone when he's eight. Whatever's going on when all other people are doing it be the last one and fight it as long as you can on all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's if, good. If you, can't, if you can't fight it, freaking get out of there, you know, <laughs> go just get away because I don't know. I just, I haven't seen a lot of really help come things. out of it. Good yeah. come out of it, you know, and, and I know I'm probably being all really cynical about that when I say that, but that's, well, you know, you're going to get the, like, well, everybody else has it. Everybody else has it. Everybody else yeah. has it. Or yeah. I got to text you when practice is over. I got to text you yeah. when, so I was like, all right, well, here's a, here's a flip phone. Exactly. That's what we did. I mean, we were slow. We were the last parents to do a lot of those kind of things. And I, whatever the, that is at, at the time when your son's that age, be the last. That's my goal. Yeah. Be the last. Blame it on your age. What's well, funny because, so, you know, I've worked in education now for, you know, almost 
what, 15, 20 years now. And um, in my previous school, our sixth graders would go to Enchanted Rock, which is kind of out in the hill country of Texas. And our Uh seventh graders would go out to Catalina Island off of the the coast of Long Beach. And our eighth graders would go to Colorado. It was really amazing trips. But it was so funny is that we we had a zero cell phone policy. So you couldn't bring any technology at all. Uh And so we would definitely get some kickback. And we, of course, we got some parents, you know, we'd kind of freak out a little bit. Yeah. But it really was like a drug addict, you know, who was going through withdrawals. So like the first day or two, there was kind of that, you know, just to hear them talking about it. And but then honestly, like days three and four, Mm -hmm. they were almost it was like we we took a burden off of their shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. And it was almost kind of life giving. And we would ask, mm-hmm. we would kind of reflect with them after the trip, you know? And it was almost like you're giving them an excuse to not be on it. Yep. And it was refreshing for them, mm-hmm. you know? And yep. it was kind of cool, actually. And then we did it. So obviously we did these trips every year. So we did yeah. new and it was kind of neat to kind of see like, you're actually going to kind of thank us, you know? <laughs> exactly. You don't have this pressure now of being in, checking what your friends are doing and what's happening and being bombarded. And you could actually yeah. be in the moment and enjoy mm-hmm. the mountains in front of you, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of cool. Obviously a great, great thing to do. Yeah. Opinion. Well, that's really interesting. And I, and I have to share too, like with you specifically, because I know you, you know, again, this is not any, I'm not showing, sh- I'm not throwing shade at my parents or that generation, but, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, on my dad's side that, you know, granddad, Georgia Power Light didn't have the money or the resources necessarily to go out and have extracurricular activities, you know? Yeah. And so my dad being a byproduct of that, he worked his way through college, you know, he just, didn't have the luxury of going on playing golf or going yeah. out. So he had to work his tail off to get himself to yeah. college. So that then kind of got passed on to us. So I didn't grow up hunting or fishing and, you know, doing that stuff. So, you know, my soul kind of craves that sometimes, you know, but it's like, I think I worry a little bit like with my son, he's only 19 months, but like, <laughs> I don't have the Reese. I don't have like a plot of land where I can go hunt i don't have the attention span to go fish necessarily so this is actually kind of a selfish question but like should i be concerned is there something that i should have my own identity and passion in that he to create that togetherness with him i don't necessarily think you need to stress over it being one any particular activity you know i mean for example told you i I only fished and hunted with my dad a few times but for whatever reason that Maybe also that was fairly prominent about where I grew up, but that stuck with me. And I became more of a hunter and fisherman, you know, once I was an adult than I ever I was as a kid. And I was blessed to be able to have a place to do that. But, and then I, you know, I took my son hunting and he enjoyed it, but, but he's never really, I mean, he's been more of a golfer, as you know, and been more about being a golfer than anything else. And it's ironic. I took him fishing again this summer because I kind of, had this feeling that his golfing career may be coming to a close as far as, you know, pursuing it as a college sport. And so I wanted to kind of give him a taste of fishing to see if he, that's something he would, you know, maybe want to delve back into, but heck, if he wanted to be a rock climber, why well, I'd be rock climbing with him. You know, I, I mm-hmm. would, I would make an effort to do whatever I could, you know, obviously my daughter being a dancer, it didn't like, I'm going to start taking dancing lessons or anything. <laughs> well, the good news is, she didn't expect that, but, but I was definitely there for the recitals and, and showed interest and, 
all those kind of things. And, you know, like say, took her to ballet in New York when she was in seventh grade, because that was important to her. But, you know, if you personally have a passion to hunt and you want to share that with your son, you don't have to have a plot of land. You don't have to have a ton of stuff like you may think you do. You can actually do it in a cheaper, more efficient way. It's just going to be maybe a little bit harder work. But in a lot of ways, that's actually more rewarding. It was funny. I was actually watching something recently and some guy was talking about people that had access to all the great, you know, hunting places and all that. They don't, they don't really even enjoy it for very long. Cause once you've kind of had those experiences that are just kind of out of this world, then it's not fun anymore. You know, the fun is the hunt, so to speak, all the bad experiences and then just getting lucky and having one special experience, you know? Yeah hunt or a fishing trip or something and that's interesting kind of i kind of have to agree with that you know i mean i've been around people and been exposed to these super special sweet places and they're fun but i would much rather you know go with you on some public land and screw around and you know put a boat in the river like we did or you know just those kind of experiences are really where to me the joy and the memory is not the you know gosh stressing out over not having the best of everything Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I appreciate that. Again, I can't speak for all the maybe the listeners out there or their connections with their dads, but I think sometimes, you know, your parents are your role models. And out of all the years that I've worked at schools, no matter how cool I was, no matter how hard I tried to be cool or relatable, you know, with the kids, at the end of the day, I was never their parent. They always, always, even if they came from jacked up family situations, their dad necessarily wasn't present. It was always this yearning to yep. get approval from their mom and dad. And finally, I kind of had it, especially when I got the first taste of education and I was yep. working in a school, I was really like Mr. Everything. And I was like yeah. going to their sporting events. I would go on the weekend events and really wear myself you out. You thought you could be their parent. Yeah. And I, and I knew even at that age that I, I'm not, I'm not trying to sure, be, but I'm like, but I'm more present. I'm seeing yeah. your kids Monday through Friday. I know blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, they were always looking for that approval from their parents. And I, I realized this, like, I will, I could never, nor would I ever try to re- replace being their mom or dad. But I remember my dad, you know, he started the Galveston Marathon way back when he was the head of the chamber in Galveston, you know, and I knew that he was into fitness and he re- loved to run. And so again, trying to mimic my dad, we would go to the YMCA and work out together because I wanted to be with yeah. my dad. That health exercise that was an avenue to connect with my dad my wife whose granddad was a very successful uh dealership car dealership person here in houston you know big name recognition well known in houston her dad then took up the car industry so that by product he was busy he was working all the time you know so her way of connecting with her dad was this love of heavy metal of rock. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. He loved heavy, hard stuff. He loved Metallica. And so here's this middle school girl yeah. who started kind of going down that road of, I, and to this day, her number one favorite band is Metallica because, because, dad. Yeah. because it was her connection to her dad. You know, she craved those car rides with her dad and he would just listen to the music. You know, that's how he kind of decompressed from being in the car industry. And so it's it's crazy how to this day she still loves that, but it it came out of a connection with her dad. So maybe with you, the fishing, even though it was only five or six times, but that was your connection. Oh, yeah. With your dad. And and really just being on the farm, like to this day, I love going out, being on the farm and 
playing farmer, you know, getting on the bush hog or doing little farm things. And even though my dad's not there, every time I go up there, of course, I think about him. And that's my connection to him is just Mm -hmm. being out on the farm. I like being out there piddling around hunting or even just being out there because it reminds me of him. That's my connection to him. So we all we all have that sort of father wound or father hole we have to feel and you know, of course, I would tell you that's the way God made us to have mm. that, to long for that. And of course, that's why we have such a dysfunctional society, because we don't have that avenue for a lot of lonely kids to have that fulfilled. Wow, man. Well, that's so awesome. And we'll, we're going to end it on that because that's, you know, how I know, obviously for your kids, but how you're poured into kids to this day, you know, again, you can never replace their dad, but you can, you know, I was visiting with somebody for this sh- show and he does not have a a good relationship with his dad doesn't really know his dad but a lot of men kind of stepped into his life you know were kind of those dad-like figures to him you know he ended up going to the military and and it's been a very successful person you know Mm -hmm. because a few people stepped up and and spoke into him and actually kind of hey you need a kind of a little bit of a a whipping not physically but but kind of get him straight and then he did You know, so, but TV, this has been awesome, man. Yeah, man. Enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me into this. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing and definitely have been taking notes. And so some nuggets that I'm going to take away and I can take a little (laughs) bit of pressure that I don't have to like go buy some camo gear and um, learn how to know the difference between a 12 gauge and a a nine millimeter. I don't know what's appropriate to go duck hunting. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a passion for that, you can learn. (laughs) <laughs> if, if your son decides he has a passion for it, I guarantee you, you'll figure it out. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know, yeah. man. Thank you, TB. Appreciate yeah. you. And uh, obviously, our, what you mean to me and, and appreciate value you. And uh, But also, too, how you love your, your wife and your kids so well. So uh, it's a true testimony and obviously a tribute to your dad, what he laid in, in you. So I'm a but, blessed so, man. There's no doubt. Take care. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From a brother, C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending.